Hi everyone, Eric here. Welcome to the last episode of Season 4. I really hope you've enjoyed it. I know I've said it many times before, but I really love Impossible Landscapes, the campaign this season was based on, and I'm so happy with how the story turned out. I wanted to add a quick intro to the top of this episode to let you, the listeners, know that after today's episode, we'll be taking a bit of a break. The Nature of My Game podcast will be going on hiatus for a couple of months because my wife Kelsey and I are actually expecting our first child. In fact, by the time you're hearing this, the baby might have already arrived. So I'm going to take a bit of a break to figure out this whole parenthood thing, and then I'll be back. This also gives me a good opportunity to thank Kelsey for all the work she's put into this podcast. Most of what she does is behind the scenes, but she's the designer behind our cover art, she's responsible for all of the marketing for the podcast, including our website and social media, and she's the voice you hear at the beginning and end of every episode. This podcast would be nothing without her work, love, and support, and I'm so incredibly grateful for her. So like I said, we'll be taking a break for a couple of months, but I'm so excited for what we have in store once we're back. The upcoming seasons are really amazing, including bringing back characters for the first time, and I have some great ideas for what we can offer on the Patreon as well. In the meantime, we'd love for you to continue to share the podcast with anyone who you think might be interested. Thank you for listening and supporting, and we'll be back soon. Previously on the Nature of My Game podcast. Something kind of pushes you to check your watch, and it seems as though no time has passed since you went into the smoking lounge for the first time. I'm so sorry. I I think I'm lost. Uh, uh, Who are you? I'm Michelle Van Fitz. I live in this apartment. What type of encyclopedias are there? I don't know what brand. Hardcover, softcover. Have you ever seen a soft cover encyclopedia? I feel feel like we are about to get smacked. What's she going to do, though? So what? There's three of us and one of her. She reaches into her pocket and she pulls out like a spray canister and sprays you in the face or tries to spray you in the face with mace. With what? With mace? Is that what you just said? Oh, God. You seem to be back in one of the hallways of the McAllister. I was drawn in by the glamour of the place or the intrigue, you know? Well, I'd like to just have a night where we can just enjoy each other's company uh, without any, anybody worrying about the phone ringing or the pager buzzing, something like that. Just, uh, do you think we could move the plans? You find an entry for Asa Darabandi, and it seems that he was involved in a scandalous murder case. It's a tough nut to crack, and I, th- I think we might need a burner. This one might just need to be 86th. The sooner that places in ashes on the ground, the better. Boston, Massachusetts, May 9th, 2015. Esther Samagina was distracted as she backed her car out of the driveway. It was early, before 7 a.m., but she had already been up for hours. She hated working on Saturdays, but one of the other nurses had called out sick, and so she had to go in. Saturdays were busy in the Samagina household. Even with only one child, Saturdays were always filled with activities, and when Esther wasn't home to make sure her husband and son got to where they needed to go, she always worried about whether they could keep the schedule straight. She had written it out for them and left it on the kitchen counter, but she worried anyway. As she drove through town, Esther wondered how those families with multiple kids kept things straight. Sure, she and her husband both worked full-time, but an extra kid wouldn't have made being a stay-at-home mom any more viable, that was for sure. Her mind drifted to a day, coming sooner than it seemed, that her son would be able to drive himself around. She'd still worry, of course, but at least she wouldn't have to take him everywhere. Her thoughts remained with her husband, her son, and their Saturday schedule until she arrived at Dorchester House. As she pulled through the wrought iron fence, waved to the security guards at the gate, and parked in the parking lot, 
She couldn't help but marvel at how much this place still looked like a school building. She had been working at Dorchester House for more than 25 years and it still looked like a school every time she pulled up. The interior of the building looked even more like a school building, and Esther was distracted by the multicolored walls of the hallways and the lockers that still lined a few of them. Her mind was racing today and she knew she needed to focus. She paused for a moment, closed her eyes and took a deep breath, and then continued on to the front desk. Morning, Gail, she said as she approached. How are we doing today? Gail smiled at her, but Esther could tell there was something on her mind. Esther spoke again before Gail could even answer. Is he asking for me again? Gail nodded. Yep, a few times already this morning. Esther sighed, pulled off her sweatshirt, revealing green scrubs underneath, and stored her purse in the office before heading upstairs. When she reached the room she was looking for, she only paused a moment after knocking before entering. Good morning, Mr. Langford, she said in a slightly sing-songy voice. Looking over at the bed, she saw the red-haired man look up at her and smile. Please, nurse, he said. I told you to call me David. So the thing that we're attempting to do here, I think, is underratedly difficult because I think we're trying to accomplish a different, a, a number of different goals. You know, I think I think all three of you are trying to kind of faithfully play your characters and trying to channel what actions they would take and get into their brain. We're also trying to tell a good, interesting story, right? Because this is for an audience. To give the people what they want. Exactly, give the people what they want. And last, we're also you're also playing a game. Right? And there's like some gaminess that comes with playing a game and wanting to know what's going on and to solve things and to win. Do you three feel those things kind of as, as we kind of get closer and closer to what might be the end of this? Like, are those things coming in conflict for you? Are you feeling one pull over another? Like, where's your head at in terms of like what what we're what our goals are and like what we're what we're trying to accomplish? I like always want to know what happens. <laughs> <laughs> so sometimes I yeah. feel like in the past I've played characters where I I don't do as many risky things because I want to like make it long enough to figure out what happens. And I don't feel like I'm having that tension here. I'm more like, I'll do all the things. Like, let me just see every room where like, <laughs> I really want to know what's going on here. There's an old D&D trope where like if you go into a dungeon, like it just the pull to go into every single room, even if you've accomplished your goal in the dungeon, or even if you're, you know, even if you know walking into this next room is like absolutely dangerous. Like you just, I, ha I have to, I have to clear the whole thing out. I need to see the whole map. And I think yeah. games like Delta Green, especially this particular scenario, like throws that right back into your face. Like if that's what you want, it's not going to end well for you. It's, but I, I totally understand the like compulsion. Yeah. It feels like, um, like the thing that I think happens sometimes to me when I'm when I'm doing games like this, and I have to remember it, and it's been helpful to to be a character who got a reminder of what the Delta Green thing is, and the the game master has has been as always <laughs> expert and making sure like I keep bearing so mind. subtly too, yeah, yeah, 
but I, I, the thing that happens to me sometimes with these games that I'm really, I'm actively going against like instincts on is I approach them the same way people approach escape rooms. You know what I mean? You, you, you're, you go into the one place and you look around the one place and then in that one place is the clue to the next place. And in that next place, and then sometimes you got to double back, but sometimes you're putting things down and you're making note of, of, of the numbers and the things. And like you're putting it all in your head, but there's a very linear sort of like, it's a, it's a business. Like they, they don't lock you in a room that's like, hey, listen, you're going to die if you don't get out of here for real. <laughs> like that's, it's like there, there's a way well, out. Not the, like <laughs> not the yeah. average escape well, room, yeah, the good ones. The, the extreme ones, we have to sign a waiver. Um but there, there's a linear way out of, a, of an escape room. And, and my head in a game like this, a game with like mysteries and logic and puzzles, uh, video games too, there's a, there's a way, there's a place you're going in the end. And like in this, the, the game itself, Delta Green itself, kind of is, is proud of its like, hey, look, sometimes you just got to burn it down because you're not going to figure it out. It's proud of its obtuseness. Mm. And like... I think that like this one is the first time that I've ever played it as like I'm going to I'm going to go against that instinct. I'm going to play it as someone who just isn't really thinking about the big mystery because I so desperately want to know more about the big mystery. So I've just okay. ignored stuff. So it's it's helped move the game and like the narrative <laughs> along the way that I think that like my character would move along, but it is frustrating because I do want to know more. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's just a, a a quick kind of like look behind the behind the scenes, or or as a as as actual play GMs would say behind the screen, because in traditional role playing games, oh. I would have a GM screen up here uh, <laughs> so that you couldn't see my die rolls. But you know, there are some role playing games, uh, the Yellow King RPG that Mikey played in season one, uh, Knights Black Agents, which is based on the same system that it, that we're playing in season three. They are set up that way, right? Like I have a, a little flow chart that's given to me mm -hmm. at the beginning of the scenario that mm -hmm. says like, this is the introductory scene, this is the closing scene, and here are the different paths to get between the introductory scene and the closing scene. And so when you listen to season one, it was only seven episodes and it moved like swiftly from beginning to end without too much kind of veering off the path. And that's because that game and that scenario is designed that way. If I tried to turn this scenario into kind of a clue map, I would never be. I wouldn't be able to do it. It would be impossible to do, right? And the, I mean, and it's 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 different in that way. And I I find that interesting and compelling because it tells a different kind of story. But I also understand how frustrating it can be. Yeah, yeah. I think. I mean, I think for me, just using that kind of um, video game analogy, like when I'm playing video games, I am. I'm interested in in reaching that end goal, but I feel like you're always right. You're always moving towards it. I love to go into every single different mm -hmm. space. Mm -hmm. Like I just want to see all of it. And um, I've been playing Elden Ring uh, with my boyfriend recently, Who and hasn't that been, is other like, than me, of course. But yeah, I'm very bad <laughs> at it. It really is like it's just so and and like well you know it's like um he'll be playing and I'm like no go over there go over there and he's like there's nothing over there I'm like I just want to see like I just want to see it there's there's so much weird stuff there's you know jars that talk to you or try and kill you and like you know there's like people hanging from trees and I love seeing all that and I think like for me as a the player in this game is very like I could spend hours going to every single room that we are allowed to go into and just like all the weird stuff that happens and just like taking the risk of it. But I've been trying to really like when I think of like the motivations for Veronica, 
which is like committing to doing the very best job and also knowing the truth. Like I thought that they were aligned and now I feel like they're severing a little bit because knowing the truth means that she will put herself in a place where she might die in this building, like might get trapped in these rooms forever because she just needs to know what's going on. But that might not be doing the best job as a Delta Green agent because like doing the best job as a Delta Green agent means neutralizing this threat and maybe it doesn't really mean like finding out what's happening in this building it just means ending the possibility of it continuing so yeah i feel like the most important aspect the actual most important aspect is the one that we didn't bring up because at the end of the day uh like when you're playing a video game like elden ring or any game you know there's people who collect every little thing there's people who do this that and they just go through the story I don't do either in Elden Ring because I don't understand the story and everything kills me. So why would I go anywhere or do anything? Um, just paralyzed. But, yeah, I just stand there frozen in fear. No, but the thing that – and this is what I, I always have – I try to keep this in the back of my mind for your sake, Eric, is this – you're trying to make a podcast product. And I imagine that the Delta Green itself – does not always lend itself to the best actual play podcasts. I've listened to a few of them, and no, I'm not naming any names. But it, it, <laughs> it, it there's there's been Delta Greens where it, it just feels like it's it's got this. It can get this really aimless and sort of like on top of itself quality to it. And this, I don't think we've we've hit this even once in this podcast, which has been good. But I feel like when. And that's fun for the person who's doing it because they're they're doing it and they're excited and they're they're playing the game actively. Their character is like there, they're feeling it. They love like they want to know it. But if I'm just listening at home and I'm a more passive participant, and I, that's not where my head is at, that's not where the thread is at, and I, that's not what I was thinking. Then I I it, it's tough to kind of. It's not like a medium where I'm going to be like, no, no, don't go in there. Don't go in there. It's just like a, now I'm going to listen to these people talk about something I don't care about. So the, <laughs> the the idea of the narrative thrust is hard with with this, especially because, like you said, in uh, the first season, it was kind of easy for the for everybody because we just there was a beginning. There was a middle. There was an end. There was something that we had to do and a way to do it and a guy to meet and one guy in one place. It was fine. This is a lot harder. And I think that, that telling a narrative story within it is a matter of finding the balance between like what information is actually interesting, what's interesting because I'm here playing the game right now and it feels more interesting than it is. What and and that's like where you have to do a lot of work editing, I'm sure. Well, and I think the I think the thing for me is like I agree with you that of of all of the games that I could choose to play. Delta Green probably does not lend itself to especially especially a season-based role-playing actual play podcast as well as some other games could. Mm. But I can I the reason that we've done it for season 2 and now are doing it again for season 4 is because I love the game too much to not do it. And so I I'm like I love it too much and I'm going to figure out a way to make it work and I really think that nice. you know you you three are wonderful and I th thought the season 2 group was wonderful too like it can be done, but it, 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 uh, yeah. it, like you're saying, it may not be the, it's not the easiest kind of needle to thread. What I will say is for the sake of allowing the three of you to really kind of embody your characters in the way that I know you all want to, and for the sake of the story, I promise you that I will answer any questions that you three as <laughs> players have after we're done. I promise that I will. 
And for listeners, if you really want to know what's going on in every little detail of what's going on in the scenario, you should buy Impossible Landscapes, written <laughs> created for the Delta Green role-playing game by Arc Dream Publishing. It is perhaps the greatest single campaign book that I have ever seen. It is an absolute work oh, of art, you. and you should this buy it. This one we're playing right now, right? That's, <laughs> yes, that's this one? is the one we're playing yeah, right this now. Is, yeah, this, yeah. Is, this mm-hmm. is the best. Yeah, this is really good. It's amazing. Oh, man. Okay. Okay. So anyways, so anyways <laughs> we left our characters... Somehow they have they have found their way somehow they found their way out of the seemingly endless and totally unstructured rooms above what they believe to be the the McAllister building and they decided to call it a night each at, at, at different times though all of you pretty pretty late at night and I do actually need before we pick up the following morning you know we we ended on on Dahlia seeing this dog. But Dahlia, you actually have, you know, you've had some traumatic experiences in your life before this, this, uh, this eight hour time period. Yeah. And you have, we've identified that you have some trouble sleeping, uh, even yeah. more so than the other two. So I, I would like you to make me a sanity check, please. No. Oh. oh, cool. 11. Under 40. All right. So you are actually, you actually get the, get the bet, the, the most sleep out of the whole group. You actually mm-hmm. get back to your apartment and, and fall asleep. And so wow. what time do you think the three of you are meeting back up in the morning? You probably have some sense of when you like, you know, you either talked about it or you have some sense of it. And what do you think? When do you think that would be? Probably like eight thirty, nine o'clock the day, regular work day would be good. Okay. Makes sense to me. So do you think any of you are doing anything before that? I think I might pop in at work. And just like ask how the end of the art show went and tell them that I'll be like scouting around for new artists and we'll be in for the rest of the day. All right, it's Friday? It's Friday, yes. Yeah. And if there's no one there, maybe I just leave a note saying that. Like, I just let them know that I haven't like absconded my duties. Sounds good. You have, um, you have dinner planned with Jude and his parents tonight. Probably not going to happen, but I'm not going to tell him yet. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> Um, Veronica or Chip, anything you want to do in the morning before either you getting up early? I, I think Chip said it when we were talking about your background that he wakes up at like 5.30 a.m. So what's yes. <laughs> what's Chip's morning look like? He wakes up at 5.30 a.m. Uh, and then, you know what? He he looks at the clock and he, he puts his head back down on the pillow till 5.45 and then he gets up. <laughs> um, and then he does as usual, you know, he has uh, a couple you know, a couple thermoses of coffee. <laughs> He's uh, just getting things ready, getting a few things in order, uh, making sure like um, he has everything he needs. I think that he's definitely thinking about like what's next for him if this if this all goes well, because I think he still's got that cockeyed optimism to a degree. I think he's thinking of like what's next with the what's he going to tell the FBI. I think he kind of knows exactly what he's going to tell the FBI, but <laughs> uh, you know it's. It's a big, so I'm sure he's in the back of his head kind of rolling over like, boy, I just hope nobody from there calls me today. I'd really like this to just be a Delta Green kind of thing right now. Fair enough. What about you, Veronica? Um, I think Veronica, you know, she gets up and does her regular morning routine. She's covered herself with work um, by reaching out to Greg. Um, I do think she leaves a note for her neighbor, Davina, um, to check in on her cat. You know, Veronica's not really sure how things are going to go and how long they're going to be stuck there and what length of time that might actually be. So she wants to make sure that um, somebody comes in and checks on her cat in case she's missing. And then she'll get her iced coffee and head over. I love it. That's, I think, my favorite character detail of Veronica's is that she was 
she was early on the iced coffee trend. So it, she she liked iced coffees before they were popular. I was just thinking through that. I was like, hmm, is that a thing in the 90s? Like, oh, yeah. It was for Veronica Doyle. She, she, was, went, yeah. <laughs> she went to the bodega and got an iced coffee. She Absolutely. invented the coffee culotta, as a matter of fact. Oh, That's yeah. what happens she, after this. And the she really script. got in on the ground floor on that one. So. Yeah. <laughs> uh, do, you, are, do you think you three are going to meet up at the McAllister building? Or are you going to meet up somewhere else to talk? Probably just at the McAllister building. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. All right. So the three of you roll up between 8.30 and 9 o'clock outside the McAllister building. I see them both. I bid them good morning. Did either of you get any sleep? I did. Congratulations. (laughs) I think Veronica (laughs) shares that she didn't get a ton of sleep, but um, I think she's going to share the the notes that she took from the night before um, of what she found about how, you know, McAllister building was called the Lundin house and, you know, who it was sold to um, and the, uh, about Asa um, Dirbandi, the architect being involved in some sort of scandal murder case, but with no other details just to catch them, catch them both up. And I think she'll ask um, Dahlia how the rest of the cataloging went. Yeah, I really couldn't make much heads or tails of anything. I think the the night that we had really kept me from, from noticing too much. It was quite the night. thought it was. You know, uh, ladies, I was thinking, and that's wonderful research, uh, Ms. Doyle. Excellent as always. That's why I call on you. Uh, and we could, well, yeah, how many of these have we seen now? My goodness, with, with, with where we go in and there's all kinds of... There's clues and there's this and there's that and we can follow the threads and and oh, there's the uh, you know, we've seen so many strange things with the with this program and in this job and and I've started to realize something. There's really quite a number of times where there's there isn't an answer. Uh, we could try to parse through what exactly it is that you know has this this particular building act this particular way with these particular ghosts or not ghosts or people or not people marionettes not marionettes but there also exists uh, another side to that coin you see i've always thought that the answer was the solution but i'm mm-hmm. starting to think if it's not the other way around uh if the solution to something like this is not the answer to what we need to do and the solution to something like this something so unknowable Something so, I think, quite frankly, we can all agree, evil. The solution to something like that is to eradicate it. Mm. Raise it. Get rid of it. And that is what we are tasked to do with Delta Green. So what I'm suggesting, ladies, is rather than go back into the into the haunted hotel and get deeper in and, and risk getting lost, we count our lucky stars that all three of us got out. We get as many of the people that we know are actually alive out of there, and we make sure that no one, no one ever gets lost in that place again. Hmm. What exactly are you suggesting, Chip? What's well, your exact course? Uh, Miss Doyle, I'm going to need your help on that as my legal counsel uh, on the matter. <laughs> uh, but I think that uh, ultimately uh, what needs to happen is first a... Uh, well, I suppose fire is 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 the the quickest uh, well quickest option, uh, and also the one that can happen the most incidentally. Uh, but if uh, you know, heaven forbid, if if people in the instances where a building caught fire, if there were people who knew right away and were able to usher the people out before the blaze was able to capture the the whole building, well, that would just be great. But you know, you're not so lucky usually uh, in the case of a fire. But if we could perhaps. 
think of a way that it would incidentally happen and we could get these people out of the building. I, I can't see what, what uh, exactly uh, can be done in terms of, you know, haunted hallways and, and elevator shafts when it's uh, just ash on the ground. I, I think Veronica is, is, was not expecting this <laughs> comment from Chip to start off the morning, so she's a little shocked. So she goes, uh, Chip, you want to you wanna burn this building to the ground? The, I mean, not only the people that are living in it, but, but think of that poor, oh, what's his name? David. I mean, he's trapped up there somewhere. You want to you wanna leave him? We're going to let him die? <sighs> Ms. Doyle, I don't want to burn this building down. I, I have to burn this building down. And there's blood on my hands, uh, old and new and dried and, and oh, d d just fresh. Uh, but here, there's ancient blood on this building. There's something very old and very bad inside of here. And I don't think it belongs on this earth. Let's walk it back a few steps. I agree that continuing to play Explorer in this old and mysterious building is no longer the course of action. Took me a few hours, lots of walking to come to that conclusion. But what have we actually seen that proves that this place is evil? How many uh, uh, places have you ever uh, been lost in uh, for six months, uh, left simpering and crying According in the hotel to... room corner? <laughs> oh, that's if we're believing David. I think there's enough evidence. Well, I mean, I saw, certainly I saw some marionettes. We saw an exploding clockwork girl. Could be an art installation. Just just to play, you know, our true rationale, if we were going to just destroy the building today, the rationale behind it is... However, I will say this, uh, Miss Ivanovan, your, your dedication to the, the logical uh, explanation to these sorts of things is why why you're the best in the biz. But uh, we know something as evil is here because we're here. Uh, Delta Green doesn't call us in if, if we're to figure out whether or not a threat is benevolent or malevolent. Usually, I would say nine times out of ten. Now, they tell us they need to identify the threat, but do you really think we've ever been sent in anywhere blind? I mean, let's think about what, what these organizations know, what these agencies know. I mean, I could tell you things. I can't, I can't tell you things. I'd be arrested. But I could tell you things. Something is wrong here. We know that by our very presence here. I, I, I agree, certainly, that there's more to know and nuance to this sort of thing, but I can't help but shake the feeling that we wouldn't be here if this wasn't all wrong already. I don't... Um, I think maybe Veronica feels sort of stuck between the, I don't know, like the two of them in this conversation. So she says, um, all right, we always have the backup plan of burning it to the ground. That seems pretty easy. Uh, but, you know, what What would our other options be? Dahlia, as you said, we can't just be knocking on doors, getting lost in hallways anymore. What, what could we do next that wouldn't get us stuck in the same place we were last night? Uh, we don't know. That's not a risk I think I'm willing to assume. Nor do I think it's a risk I'm willing to let you assume. I never, ever pull rank. But I don't know if I would feel comfortable on a, on a mission with any one of us going back in beyond what we know, what we've been able to get out of consistently. We came close, all three of us, one time or another came close to death or something worse. I can't in good faith let any of us go back in there, guns blazing, wondering where to next. We left without a solid lead. What makes you think we'll go back in there and find another one? 
I just can't see the the the, the other options here. I I agree. I like to have five, six, seven. But at a certain point, what's to be done? It feels too simple to burn down the building. That was a crazy thing to say, <laughs> but it does. <laughs> And I feel like, I hope, like, this is me, uh, the person, like, I assume Eric will make it very easy, and then it'll burn down. It will just all say, okay, that's that. Right, Eric? It won't, you won't make it challenging. I would never do something this, like that. Never. No. <laughs> if I know one thing, that it's that it's that burning down an apartment building in New York City and getting away with it is the easiest thing to do. <laughs> but unfortunately, you know, kind of, if you're the landlord, <laughs> but... <laughs> <laughs> But this is 19... Well, it's 1995. It's even easier. Oh, man. I guess it's just the play. I think it's the player in me, Sarah, who's like, what? <laughs> no, yeah, trust what? me. I don't... Yeah, no, but we I'm trying to... We just don't even need to go in again. We're just like, no, we're going to... Well, we gotta go in to figure out how to burn it. I mean, we gotta. Well, so I wanna, so I wanna, I wanna, I wanna dig into Dahlia's mindset here a little bit. What do you think? Like, what, what do you for for Dahlia? Like, what do you think a good outcome would be? And you can, you can, you can share something here that you don't share with your fellow agents, right? Like, like, is is she? Is there like a part of her that still like? wants to go be a part of whatever world is up there is that why she's hesitating no that she kind of shook that part off and was like look you're making your life here like you have a good setup like don't don't go get lost in this strange hotel but i think the not being able to explain even to someone in delta green who knows that there is unnatural stuff not to be able to explain any of that feels like maddeningly frustrating like to not even know if the smoking room is still there today in the morning on Friday, like that is, like that temptation is so great to know if it's even there. And like, we don't, I guess if we're gonna burn it down, we don't even need to go there. Like we're, we don't need to save Mark Rourke. We don't know if he's real. We just have to knock on Thomas's door. <laughs> ghost man. And like <laughs> um, Michelle's door. And if nobody answers, then like no one's in the Kips Bay place. And then we just burn. No one that, yeah, no one that we can physically confirm other than our buddy David, who's dead already. I mean, something ate him or killed him, you know, like we. Yeah. He's, uh, he's, he's, listen, sunk cost, David. He's uh, collateral damage. <laughs> we, you know, unfortunately, he's gone for six months. And again, I reiterate, no one looked for him. So, or no, he might have only been gone for five minutes. Who knows? But yeah, we just, but you're right. No, I really, you're right. We just got to get those two people out of there, I think. We don't know about Karun. But this well, yeah, was you, helpful. You, you believe that there are four people still right. living in this building. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And perhaps the night manager. We don't know where he is. Uh, I think I'm cool leaving him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's. Yeah. I think a stiff breeze will take care of him. He's fine. <laughs> yeah. Okay. You're right. So we go in, get the people out, and then make our plan. Yeah. Is Dahlia sold? She's she's in on the burning now. She's not happy about it, but logically. Yeah, I think just feeling frustrated by inaction, but even just going into the building to knock on the door to be like, Thomas, let's go, feels like enough action to to stick with it. So b- before we go in, I would definitely turn to Veronica and be like, Miss Doyle, your knowledge of these uh, uh, sorts of things, you know, fires, accidental fires in the, in, in the city, the zoning laws, all those things, I can't pretend I know any of it. So uh, hypothetically... If you were taking on a case and you saw a, a case that looked fairly airtight to you and, and it was a no-fault burning, uh, what what would be the things that stood out? I mean, I've probably seen worse, you know, covered up for less. Uh, I think we could make this happen in a way that was non-approachable, but I just didn't think I'd be using my degree to do this, but... <laughs> 
Miss Doyle, I understand your your hesitations. But but what comes what is what comes, you yeah, know. <laughs> at a certain point, uh, I, I have to, you know, you have to start asking questions about the oaths we take and the the creeds we maintain because uh, they do get in the way sometimes. So I understand your uh, your trepidation and appreciate the the help. And I don't worry if anybody's got to go to prison, <laughs> it will absolutely be me. <laughs> <laughs> So, so what's our plan here? Like, is our plan to get these somehow lure these people out and then like light this building on fire? Or are we lighting the building on fire and hoping that we'll flush them out? So the the one oh, thing that gosh. I the one thing that you I don't think that you as a group need to spend time planning out is like mm-hmm. how to burn the building down. Like you three are plenty <laughs> oh, I already resourceful. Have the plan. Yeah, yeah. You you three are plenty mm-hmm. resourceful. You don't need to like debate the the best process for burning down a building. I mm-hmm. think the main things are. How are you, if you're going to get the other people out of it, how are you going to do that? And mm-hmm. what are the things that need to happen? And we can deal with these before or afterwards to obscure your involvement in having burned the building down. Mm. Because it is, of course, 9 a.m. On, yes. a bright, on a bright yeah. August day in New York City, in Kipps Bay, in Manhattan. My, my first thought was if, if it, like, let's assume it needs to be started in the basement. Linseed oil. Oh. Yeah, we got the linseed oil down there, right? So Mm -hmm. if it starts down in the basement and somebody... We position ourselves in such a way that, like, let's say I I go down, kick the linseed oil, overstart it. But we started... I mean, I would assume we would start in a way that wasn't immediately... You know, the whole place was just up in flames. You know, we do the sort of, like, insurance burn that happens. Um, So I think if I discovered it in the basement and yelled fire, and one of you was on the first floor, one of you was on the steps, I mean, theoretically, we could, whoever's right by Thomas's door could knock, whoever by the doors upstairs could just knock, fire, 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 get out, and we're good. That could work. It's an old building, you know? It's easy to say, like, faulty wiring. Yeah, it's just... You know, various... Years of artistry, yeah, chemicals, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I think all of that could work. If we just, you know, it's going to be tough time. I mean, the only other thing I would think is is getting people out before it starts. That's what I was thinking. But I just don't know how we do that without making it look like we're burning the building down and getting people out. Mm -hmm. Unless, unless there was a bomb threat that we (laughs) needed to investigate. Which are popular in the nineties. And and those Aww. yeah, oh yeah, New York yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. If there was a bomb threat and we needed to just invest and say we need to get everybody out of this building and go down to the basement and investigate it, and something goes up, but we but you know, everybody we, we get out, that it's mm. it's like that the the there's a story that you know, the bomb went off in this place and people I'm sure, especially in nineteen ninety five, it's like, oh crazy artists do doing art. You know, that's the sort of thing that those mixed up artists might do, burn down yeah. their building as an experiment. You know, let me, so like, I that think we could pull better. it off. That seems mm-hmm. better, because then we like yeah. know that we've tried our best to get these people out of there. Yeah, we didn't, we don't, we don't leave it to time. You know, we don't leave it to a dice roll where it's like, yeah, oh, that, I rolled like, a 77. I'm not trying to die that way. Yeah, and I tripped and I burned to death. No, like, that's, no. That's not, yeah. <laughs> but wait, we're going to get, lure them out that way and then someone's going to go in and light it on fire someone's gonna have to then do that the yeah. thing of starting the fire and getting out that we were just talking about but only one person is gonna have to do that yeah and okay. everyone else is out before i like that and everyone better. else is out yeah. yeah and then that person can just go and be like oh it's gonna blow okay. i found the bomb and it's about to explode yeah 
And so the the plan is to go in and tell tell everyone that's in there that there's been a bomb threat and that they need to evacuate. Yeah. We don't get to investigate at all before that. We don't even get to go <laughs> to the fourth floor and see if there's stairs up. We will never get out. Oh God. <laughs> <laughs> There's no way we can reach. We don't even try mm-hmm. to meet our Karoon. Like there, we haven't even talked to them. Well, we have. Well, that's what have we're knocking to. on the door of. We're gonna. We're about to meet our. An L post. Yeah, we're about to say, mm-hmm. "Hey, L post, there's a bomb in your basement." Okay. <laughs> Better get out of here, L post. I mean, I don't know. I don't want to speak for Chip, but if, but I would, would Chip actually physically restrain Dahlia from going upstairs and looking at the at the door to the roof? <laughs> If she if she started to like like uh, uh, move, I think he'd be like, uh, Miss Ivanova, uh, because it really. <laughs> like, I just want to know if it's there in the daytime. <laughs> it really does screw up the whole thing. If I mean, doesn't if you go no, in and right, disappear. Right. God. <laughs> no, yeah, and I think I don't think because I was gonna say what I was about to say was trying to figure out the character's motivation. Like, would he be like, Hey, look, she made a decision there. But no, I mm-hmm. think that like now. You're in business mode, yeah. Yeah, and this reshuffling of his compass has made people who he's close to. I think he's reevaluated like the importance of of actual connection as opposed to like vague sort of connections to a duty and stuff. So I think yeah. that he is. Okay. I don't think he would let her. I think he would physically restrain her from trying to go upstairs. I feel like I don't even need to be involved in this though. Like then, if you work for the FBI, you go and you're like, "Hi, there's been a bomb threat. I work for the FBI. Yeah, we Please got a get out." Pretty serious bomb here. Like yeah, I, I actually don't need to be here. involved in that. Yeah, I get excited because I get to put the windbreaker back on. There you go. Like I'll just wait outside, I guess. So Dolly, you're you're gonna stay outside? Yeah. And are you? Uh, is is Veronica gonna? Well, I guess she could. It wouldn't make. Would it make sense for two of us to be doing it? I don't know. Who's um, lighting the fire? I'm like, I'll light the fire. I'll, oh. I'll get him out and then light the fire. Yeah, I'll light the fire. I mean, Veronica can light the fire, you know? She's lit a few fires in her day. She's got a, 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 a pyromaniac streak. <laughs> you don't know her whole life. <laughs> um, the law school yeah. days. Yeah, you know, stuff gets wild at Vanderbilt. I can't speak for all of that, but... Um, I think that if she, like, had a... If she, it was, like... No, there's. I'm. I'm particularly good at this. Like it's particularly good. I. That is mm-hmm. something that I think Chip would be like. Well, I trust your like your abilities. But I think if it's just like a no. straw poll, like who's going to do it? I think he would yeah. be like, I insist. But if you're okay. good at it, then she should get to. Do, then yeah, I think. No, she should I have like 20 in demolitions. I think it's you know. I can't. I can't say. I can't say that we're gonna make it out. Is it gonna be a skill check, Eric? Because demolitions, where am I at? It, it's not going to be a. De- it's certainly not going to be a demolition skill yeah. check. Yeah. Uh, okay. Because <laughs> you're not setting up TNT down there. No. Wait, and we're no. we're doing this in the middle of the day. We're not waiting till night or anything. Mm, the like more it's nine we wait, the more things could happen. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I think. For, I mean, I think for the sake of the charade, right? Like. Mm-hmm. Chip ushering people out and then going down into the basement to look for the bomb and then the fire starting and him rushing out. Makes sense. It's yeah. not. All, I mean, it's yeah. not. It's not right. crazy. It's not. It's not yeah. unrealistic. Okay. And again, it's we're mm-hmm. we're living in an era where people wouldn't be able to to like there wouldn't be an internet forum that immediately became like it's really weird that that guy ran right yeah. out. You're right. Like yeah. it would just be the story was <laughs> there was a bomb. The guy went in. It exploded. He got out. You know what I mean? Like yeah. should we take the stuff that we've cataloged so far though from Abigail's out? 
Because, mm. I mean, I it just it's yeah. still like evidence. I don't know. I feel like just in case something like this crops yeah. up again. I you think know? Chip's telling the FBI that the, this case was his, like, he doesn't care about this case. So, like, I think if we took it out, it would be for us. It wouldn't be to turn it in and be like, this is all we could get for you. Because you guys don't actually care about what the FBI thinks. Yeah. Right? Like, it's True. not relevant to mm-hmm. their existence. Your sleeping bag, are you going to get that? No, I'm going to let it burn. Wow. Okay. Are you going to tell the artists that they have, like, time to get their art and take it out? Yeah, I'll, yeah, I'll... I'll you know, I won't, I won't, be, they won't have to get out immediately the second, but they got to get out quick. I can't let them go anywhere other than just You got 10 minutes to get out of the building. Okay. All right. So I walk in. Well, but so, but before you do that, so Veronica, what are you, what, what are you doing? I don't think I'm doing anything. I mean, are you and Dahlia just like standing around outside? Yeah. Are you leaving the premises? Are you? I'm going to like find a stoop across the street yeah. and like sit on the stoop and like pretend to be writing in my journal or something. Okay. She's an artsy lady doing her thing. Yeah, Veronica is gonna, I think, you know, find an adjacent area to post up innocuously. Stand outside this of a building, horrible. I guess. Yeah. Just yeah. Drinking your iced coffee on the stoop like drinking it's a normal summer day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, like God. it's not a, supposed to be at work. Yeah. There's ice in this coffee, you know, everybody. There's ice in this. <laughs> Have you tried this? Have you tried this? Yeah. Well, this is sad. All right, so Chip, I'm not going to have you, I'm not going to go through every interaction, but give me a sense of what lengths are you going to get people out of the building? Are you giving them the directive and then it's up to them whether they leave or not? Are you, would you, do you go so far as to threaten anyone? Like what's the, what's your MO going in here? I'm saying that uh, it's, it's, it's federal business. It's, you know, it's, this is big, big time. And I have, that I have the ability to escort off-premise if need be, uh, but that, you know, and I must insist, you know, I'm, I'm going to stand in the door jam and be like, you gather up the things that you want to gather up here, but I must insist that this, you know, I need to see you out the door before I walk away from your door, or I'm going to have to, like, arrest you and be like, come on, you 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 have to leave now. So I got my plastic handcuffs ready. All right, give me a, give me a persuade check plus 20. Persuade plus 20. Oh, okay. So I have 50, so plus 20 is 70, and it is a 65. All right, so both Thomas and Michelle, who you you have met each of them before, they both interact with you like they have met you before, but also anything that happened after your initial interview with Thomas seems a little blurry like anytime you try to clarify like oh i i was i was in your i I came through that large room in the back of your apartment michelle like that all seems a little fuzzy and like she doesn't quite know what you're talking about and like the idea that you arrested thomas and had him bring you up to the fourth floor and then he ran away like that doesn't seem like it's really ringing any bells but it's also not like like they do they they do know that they've met you before okay the whole thing just seems kind of like when we got out of it and we were like, what? We can't remember this. It just feels weird. Or is it that they never, it didn't happen to them? Like, they don't know there's a fourth floor and a fifth floor and a sixth floor. Like, Good question. It sure doesn't seem like they do. Like, they say every once in a while, they'll say something that gives you a sense that, like, maybe somewhere in their subconscious they know that. Because you also okay. remember, like. This is like original Manny when I talked to him the first time. <laughs> Yeah, he he mentioned Mr. Castain in that first conversation with you, yeah. but also so, he, there are so many things that it seems like he didn't know. Yeah. They both are extremely hesitant to leave. 
but you are able to get them to leave. But they, both of them kind of go on and on about how they're feeling such inspiration from the building. And they really, they, they're just so hesitant to leave. And even Thomas, who says that, you know, he insists that he's been struggling to produce anything. He says he can just feel that he's right on the cusp of greatness. Well, unfortunately, uh, Looney Tune was also inspired by this building and might have put a bomb in the basement. <laughs> so I am going to need you to get out of it. So, yeah, they, so they, they both do leave. Thomas, you, you, I would say that both Dahlia and Veronica see Thomas go down into the basement and go get his paintings Good. and bring them out. Oh. You also, Chip, you, you finally meet the other two people who live in this building. H. Karoon? Yes, uh, R. Karoon is a, sh- a short, middle-aged white man with a slight paunch, crooked glasses, hair unkempt, clothes clean but poorly pressed and mismatched. Uh, he's an author. He's a writer. Writes fiction. He's actually probably the most famous of all of the of the, all of the people in this building. He's he wrote um, a, a series of books called called the Night Sea series that some of you may have heard of. He too, uh, I mean, is is dubious, but also like you know, you probably go in with your FBI vest on, right? Yeah, you, you're, yeah. you're, you're flashing your badge. On. You got the gun. You got yeah. you got the whole you got the whole thing. And so you do eventually get him to leave, as well as Lewis Post, who turns out to be a an artist works on a lot of comic books, and he also he he's actually the one that's that it follows you most willingly. You know, he's the idea of a bomb blowing up is is uh, very scary to him, and and he leaves. So the four of them come out. You know, they they have brief conversations with each other. Like it seems like they know each other, but not super well. And Chip, they ask you, should we stay here? How long is this going to be? Like, do you want us to? leave or do we do we stay what do we do i would i would ask that i mean you vacate the premise i you know i am a trained member of the bomb squad but you never know with these things i mean the the the, the blast if there is a blast a shrap i mean there's all sorts of things to consider so if i were you i would certainly leave and i'm going to have to insist that you at the very least vacate the immediate premises i should say one other thing do you uh, roll me an alertness check, please? Alertness. Okay. Oof, 94 over 50. Okay. Do we need to ask about, like, the superintendent or the night manager? Like, is the superintendent, like, working in the basement, even if he doesn't live there? Or we're not even asking? Yeah, didn't Veronica say she's willing to let him burn? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's something just not right about that guy. Just, you know, making sure we didn't forget about them. No, yeah, yeah we're, we're willfully killing them. Got it. <laughs> Just, you know, no regrets. No R-A-E-G-R-E-T-S. All right, so yeah, so they so they leave. They kind of disperse, like, you know, maybe walk down to a coffee shop or, you know, they they say they'll come back uh, once 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 the all-clear signal has been given. And so, Chip, you're, are you going to head down to the basement and try to, try to light this thing up? Yep, let's do it. Okay. I would say criminology or... Law. What do you got? What do you got for either one of those? Fifty criminology, thirty law. Yeah, I would say even with a fifty criminology. Actually, yeah. Why don't you? Why don't you give me a roll? Thirty. Yeah. So you're you are able to start something on fire downstairs, and you feel pretty confident that that it you know it's it's starting to burn. Like you want to you want to get out of there, and you you really do think that the whole building is going to is going to go up. Do you leave? Yeah. Yeah. I'm gonna go. Okay. All right. So it doesn't take very long for the three of you to 
start seeing signs of fire and smoke coming out of the basement. Uh, you hear a smoke alarm start to go off. Do you do anything? Do you stand and watch? Do you call the fire the the, the fire department? Anything like that? I'd stay on my stoop and watch, but like mm-hmm. not making any calls. Now there was a the the payphone was in front of it, so it's kind of no one would be using that. Where is the nearest phone? There's probably another payphone down the block, or you could go into a restaurant and call something or something like that. Chip's gonna go to wherever the nearest payphone is and just pick it up and not do it. He's just gonna make it look like he's calling somebody, but he's not calling anybody. Not yet. All right, what about you, Veronica? Are you doing anything, or are you just you going to stay at the bodega and keep watching? I think just stay at the bodega and keep watching. All right. So the fire starts to build. You know, there are lots of people now who live nearby that are starting to come out of their buildings and watch what happens. You know, the, the, the next-door buildings on either side, people start, people start kind of streaming out because uh, they obviously don't want to be anywhere near this. You know, by this time, the fire department has certainly been called. Yeah. And they arrive, but, you know, nobody was able to act quickly enough. And, you know, if you sit there and watch for a while, the fire department, you know, they try to save the building, but the whole thing eventually comes down. Oh, wow. Oh, okay. All seven floors. <laughs> all three oh, yeah, floors, all seven you mean? Floors. <laughs> yeah, all, all three floors in the basement. Mark Rock jumps out wow. of a window that we didn't see existed before. And no, yeah, no strange like specters are coming out. Right, like nothing's like that released onto the world. Or like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. They turn the containment unit off. I do think I'm going to need one more roll, and this can be done by either by anyone. But this is this is primarily for for Chip. Is you're going to have to make some sort of report to the FBI, right? Because you know, you were assigned to this case. Are you pretending like this happened before you got there? Are you pretending like you somehow got the bomb threat and decided to handle it on your own without going through proper channels? Um, kind of what's your what's what's the story? You don't need to make a roll, but what's the story? I think the story is going to be that he he's going to say more or less like, you know what? I I, I just wasn't on my my game here, there was a, a, a bomb threat. Uh, I, I found out about it too late, you know what I mean? It, 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 there was this whole thing. I, I We didn't get any closer to figuring it out. Once I had the bomb threat, I was afraid that I didn't have the time to operate on, uh, on uh, the proper channels. I used my instincts. I recognized that this is really a, uh, not a great reflection of my standing, and I think it's time to turn the windbreaker in and retire. Oh wow! You're you're Whoa. out. You oh are you are out. Uh, wow! You're that lucky, fiance. That is why he is so like that. Like that's why he is fine with this story, because the story's gonna be yeah. I really screwed this one up. I guess I gotta go home now. Wow! That's why you didn't wow. let us investigate. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. I feel duped. <laughs> wow! He's not leaving Delta Green though. This is oh, well, no, is he still not. welcome yeah. without yeah. his badges? And those are kind of. You know, part of what makes you... Oh, no, he's going full Delta yeah. Green now. He's going to be Mr. Delta Green. <laughs> Dahlia's like, you're out of the, you're out of the trio, <laughs> though. Like, if you're you can just, part. like, stay, yeah, get the good yeah. parts and not the... You know, we your badge was helpful to us as Delta yeah. Green. Hmm. Oh, I'm sure it'll be helpful. What? Yeah, I'm going to miss it. <laughs> what? Who will you be without your handcuffs? I'll buy it. I think there's stores that sell them. I'm not going into any of them. <laughs> <laughs> So I am gonna I am gonna need a roll from you, Chip. Um, 
I could I could take criminology, I could take persuade, oh. I could take law, whatever you want to use to kind of see if you can kind of make a convincing story, put in a convincing pharmacy. report. I'd like to use my pharmacy skill here. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, I will use, what do I have? Persuade. Yeah, I guess I'm going to use persuade because I have persuade. Oh, disguise. I never got to use it. Uh, persuade is 50. Yeah, I'll use. I'll you use never that. get to use disguise. I, it's terrible. I've like stopped putting it on my sheet. Can we just do a season where it's mm-hmm. just about disguises? <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's like I'll write, I'll write a, a role-playing game scenario for us yes. about people who wear disguises all the time. <laughs> um, all right. So yeah, I'm rolling you a uh, persuade check. Whew, Twenty-two. Critical success. You uh, you sell it like a champ and you retire. Beautiful. Congrats. I think that is where this story is going to come to a close, but I do I do want to give each of you a chance to just share a little bit about kind of how did this experience affect your character? Not over the next 10 years, but like over the next week or the next month. Like where does where does their head go? Like do they are they able to 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 keep it out? Do they, you know, do you start like digging into research every name and everything that you've ever that that you that you found out about there? Like how does this experience in the near term affect each of your agents? I think that chip would be like He'd immediately, in the immediate, probably be, you know, confused and a little you know, weirded out. He just retired and all that. But I think that he would ultimately, that what this really did, and what he'll, he'd put a call into Marcus pretty quick and be like, I'm ready for whatever. Like he, now that whole like sense of duty thing remains inside of him, but it's to this idea of Delta Green, which ultimately is he, he's really going to lean into the idea of like, well, these are unsolvable like mysteries. Like that appeals to him. The idea of just being able to go to places and, Oh well, like we can't figure this one out. Like we'll give it a go, but you know, this is this is a lot bigger than us. Like he's fine and recognizes I think that like you need a certain type of brain to do that. And I think his his like he's turned that like question part off. So he's like, I'm ready for the real work. Like I'm ready to do I I, I I'm gonna be home when I'm home and when it's time to go to work, I'm gonna it's gonna be about getting the work done as fast as possible. Um, I think for Veronica, I think this stays with her. Like, when we think about the next week or two weeks of her life, I think that she, you know, um, gets on the typewriter, types up her notes. I think she keeps all of this, and she's kind of aware of the risk that there is for that. But, um, you know, it's coded in a way that she understands. But I think having a taste of all of this wild stuff that happened to them and having no real answers is something that's really hard for her to let go of. I think there is a concern of hers that the row that they have taken hasn't necessarily eliminated the root of what they experienced. So I think she would continue to do, you know, like a little research here and there, trying her best not to make it a little bit of an obsession because she knows that's not her role, but kind of still digging in. And I think she'd want to kind of keep tabs on what happened to the people who were left. If there's any way to understand where they've moved on to from this building and if it means anything about their experience there. Awesome. Dahlia is also keeping this story with her or this unstory, I guess, because we don't have any answers. Um, she encourages her gallery to look into Thomas Manuel, like to consider taking him on as a client. And in her own uh, side business, she just is more open to crazier stories than before, like is, is a bit more curious about 
what sort of supernatural avenues are are in New York. Like her, her mind has been a bit opened. And that is where our story is going to come to a close for now. New York City, August 11th, 1995. This is the Tri-State Area's news leader, Channel 7 Eyewitness News. The familiar voice rang through Veronica Doyle's living room as the 11 o'clock news started. Veronica was trying to stay focused, but was struggling after the events of the day. She could still see the flames as they started to peek out from the basement of the McAllister building, spreading upward until the entire place had come down. Good riddance. A historic building in Kipps Bay was destroyed by fire today, Diana Williams, the news anchor, was saying. Veronica turned her attention back to the screen. The McAllister Building, built in 1924 by architect Asa Darabandi, caught fire today and was destroyed before the New York Fire Department could intervene. Authorities are still working to confirm the source of the blaze, but those close to the scene report mention of a bomb threat from residents. Celeste Ford has more from Kipps Bay. Good evening, Celeste. The screen shifted to a view outside the McAllister Building, where a woman with short hair and a stylish vest stood holding a microphone. Good evening, Diana. I'm standing here outside where once stood the McAllister Building, a three-story brownstone apartment building in Kipps Bay. Firefighters were called to the scene around 9.30 this morning, but did not arrive quickly enough to save the structure, though FDNY confirms that all of the residents were able to escape the building, and no one suffered any injuries. The fire marks a strange end to a building with a fraught past. Originally known as the Lundeen House, the McAllister was built for Henry Lundeen, a New York City socialite, who met his demise in the building itself under mysterious circumstances. Mr. Lundin died of a massive stroke in the building on April 30th, 1952. His body was found on the staircase to the roof, dressed in strange silver robes and wearing a papier-mâché mask. Even more troubling is the story of Asa Darabandi, the architect of the building. Known early in his career as the Picasso of architecture, Mr. Darabandi vanished without a trace in 1950, leaving behind the drowned body of a child in his office, nearly $200,000 in debt, and a logbook that authorities believe record the deaths of as many as 20 other children all thought missing from the New York City area. The woman continued to talk, but Veronica had stopped listening. She could hear Chip's voice speaking in her head over and over again. There's ancient blood on this building. Ancient blood indeed. Then, a voice on the television caught Veronica's attention again. The screen had switched back to the newsroom, and Diana Williams was speaking again. A representative from ArtLife, the corporation that owns the McAllister building, said that they would be conducting their own independent investigation into the cause of the fire. Greg Caldwell, an attorney from Hudson, Marks, and Keeley representing ArtLife, said in the statement that today is a sad day for the art community in New York, and that if the investigation finds any sign of foul play, they are willing to prosecute to the fullest extent of the law. Montclair, New Jersey, August 19th, 1995. Anne Nash was standing in her bedroom, collecting the laundry from the week into a bag to bring down to the basement. She was behind on laundry, but she didn't care. She had been in a better mood the last few days than at any point she could remember. Chip retired, she thought. I can't believe it. He actually retired. The same thought had been popping into her mind over and over again for days, but it still brought a smile to her face. She hefted the laundry bag over her shoulder and headed down the hallway to the stairs of the home she and Chip owned together. Chip had gone into the office this morning to fill out some paperwork, making his retirement official. It wasn't that Anne had been dissatisfied with her life up until now. She was plenty independent, and if she had wanted to leave Chip at any point, she certainly could have. But she loved him, and she loved their life together. 
It was the constant worry that she was feeling relief from, and that's why she'd been smiling so much recently. Chip had been working for the FBI his entire professional career, and though he rarely, if ever, admitted it, Anne could tell when things made him nervous. And if something was making Chip nervous, it made Anne nervous too. He was the bravest person she knew, perhaps too brave for his own good. And if he was nervous, it probably meant he was putting himself in danger. Those moments of nervousness from Chip had been more and more common over the past few years, and Anne had started to wonder if Chip was getting reckless. Was he putting himself in even greater danger than he had done early in his career? But then last weekend, right before their anniversary, something changed, and a few days later, Chip had retired, just like that, without warning, and all Anne could feel was relief. Anne had reached the basement and was sorting the laundry, but the events of the previous weekend were running through her head. What was it that could have affected Chip that way? She had heard something in his voice that had never been there before, and she was certain it had been fear. He had even admitted it. But what could have made Chip afraid, so afraid that he was willing to admit it to her? Her thoughts were interrupted for just a moment as she reached into the back pocket of a pair of Chip's pants and felt a piece of paper. Chip had never been very good at making sure he emptied his pockets before throwing clothes into the hamper, so Anne had made it a habit to check. She pulled out the paper and saw that it was a newspaper clipping. The newspaper looked and felt old in Anne's hand, and she read the headline of the article on it. Architectural Picasso, a Chicago native. Intrigued, she continued reading. We are told to expect great things from the young Asa Darabandi, whom Providence has named Chicago's own Picasso of architecture. But at that moment, she heard the front door open upstairs and heard Chip call out, Annie? She dropped the pair of pants to the floor and started to walk to the stairs, still wondering about the newspaper clipping. She looked down at it again and saw through the thin paper that something seemed to have been drawn on the other side. And without thinking, she flipped it over to look. New York City, February 1st, 1996. Justin Mazur was the only one left at Aquavella Galleries, and that was how he preferred it. Justin liked staying late at Aquavella, especially when he had work to get done. It was quiet, no one to distract him, and he was able to think. He sometimes stayed late even if he didn't have work to do. There was something peaceful about the gallery, and it had a calming effect on him. Whenever he had a big decision to make, or just needed time to clear his head, He'd tell Dahlia that he had work to finish up, and she'd give him the keys and tell him to lock up when he was done. But tonight, he had real work to do. Dahlia had been trying for months to get in contact with a young artist named Thomas Manuel, and she had finally succeeded. Justin thought her dedication to finding him had been strange, almost obsessive. Was he really that talented? Dahlia had been so focused on finding him that it seemed like she was letting other responsibilities slip. Luckily, Justin was excellent at his job and could pick up the slack. That's what assistants were for, right? Tonight, Dahlia had left Justin with specific instructions on where to display Thomas Manuel's paintings. It was easy work, and Justin was planning to meet friends later, so he decided to get straight to it. Plus, he was eager to see these paintings Dahlia had been so obsessed with acquiring. Justin unwrapped the first painting and was shocked at what he saw. It was an entirely blank canvas. He looked down and saw that the work had been titled, My Great Work. What the hell is this? Justin thought. He looked at the notes that Dahlia had left him and saw that my great work did indeed have a spot to be displayed. He looked back at the canvas, studying it and looking for anything that might explain what he was seeing, but he found nothing. Justin set the canvas to the side and started to work on the rest of Thomas Manuel's paintings. As he did, he started to question his boss's taste for the first time. Sure, he could see the talent this artist displayed, but the works were so strange, so unsettling, that he just couldn't understand why Dahlia had wanted them so badly. Despite his hesitation, he did as he had been instructed. But as he hung up the paintings, he couldn't shake the feeling that he was being watched. He kept looking over his shoulder, peeking around corners before entering rooms, 
and he couldn't help but feel that he wasn't alone in the gallery. He decided that it was just his nerves getting the best of him, and that he'd finish up his work quickly and leave. Finally, my great work was the only painting left to hang. He went back into Dahlia's office to grab it, and took another few moments to study it. He knelt down in front of it and pressed his face as close as he could without touching it, hoping to see something, anything that would help him understand. Then, just barely, his nose grazed the canvas. As he pulled his head back, he heard someone whisper in his ear, The king approaches. Bow down to the living god. Justin jumped in fear, turning around to look for the source of the voice, and knocked the painting over as he did so. As he tried to catch his breath, he blinked a few times, unable to make sense of what he was seeing. There was no one in the room with him. This podcast was published by arrangement with the Delta Green Partnership. The intellectual property known as Delta Green is a trademark and copyright owned by the Delta Green Partnership who has licensed its use here. The Impossible Landscapes campaign is copyright Dennis Detwiller, and the contents of this podcast are copyright Nature of My Game podcast, accepting those elements that are components of the Delta Green intellectual property. Our intro music was composed and produced by Jean-Luc Bouchard. You can find more information about the Nature of My Game podcast at NOMG Podcast on Twitter and Instagram or at nomgpodcast.com. To support us on Patreon, please visit patreon.com slash nomgpodcast.